what we're uh, looking at this morning is Luke 19. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for all that your apostles, disciples of your son, godly men, left behind to record your son's teachings. We'd ask that you would help us be thankful in it, eager for it, especially this morning. In your son's name, amen. I was uh, in my library the other night, I forget which night it was, uh, and yes, I would like to suggest that my, I was in there studying with ancient books on my lap looking up Luke 19. I was not. I think I was involved in some worldly conversation with some other worldly individual about something pointless spiritually. And I, my cigar got done. So what do you do when your cigar gets done? You go get another one. So out I went, leaving my bastion of worldliness with my worldly habits, heading to get a restocking of my worldly habit. And there in between me and my cigars was a young couple, Dane and Libby, studying their Bibles. Well, if you might chagrin, hope they don't talk to me. But they did. And they said, Evan, uh, we're just reading through Luke 19. Of course, you'd like to think you have Luke 19 on the brain all the time. Um, refresh me on what Luke 19 says. And so we talked about it for a little bit. But consequently, because of this, this stopping me in the middle of my stride, and I had to stop on the way out to the cigars and back from the cigars to talk about Luke 19, sort of freshly and out, uh, spontaneously, it made me wonder, did I say correct things? I better go look. So I spent some time in Luke 19, merely because I got trapped. So you get the benefits, if I got anything out of it, of that conversation. Now, Luke 19 is a, a notable chapter in that it has got the story of Zacchaeus, it's got the parable of the talents, it's got the triumphal entry, um, Christ weeping over Jerusalem. In other words, texts that everybody sort of goes to for different reasons. Uh, Zacchaeus, you remember, because you that's one of the most endearing little kid stories, probably VeggieTales has a Zacchaeus version. Uh, I don't know who plays Zacchaeus in VeggieTales. A turnip? I don't know. I can remember, remember Archbooks? Anybody go back far enough for Archbooks? I think it started coming out, I think Zacchaeus may have been the first Archbook. Correct me if you think I'm wrong, privately. Now why is it, why is it a charming story? Well, he's short. He's diminutive. There's a tree involved. I mean, it's a very uh, real story. 
Let's look at it. He entered Jericho, that's Christ, and was passing through. This is en route to Jerusalem. Jericho is kind of north, east, northeast of Jerusalem. And he's heading to Jerusalem for his last... This is, the, this is it. This is where things go down after this. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not on account of the crowd because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, the reason I, it's not to say, Evan, why are you teaching the story of Zacchaeus? I mean, we all get the point. He is sorry that he took all that money from people, he's going to give it all back, and Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. You get a lot of good lessons out of it. Well, the reason I, I wanted to have the Zacchaeus story is because when he tells the parable of talents, when it says... Verse 11, I haven't finished reading the Zacchaeus story, but it says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Okay, the parable of the talents comes on in the midst of this story happening of Zacchaeus. So I gathered that Zacchaeus might be, might be an element in this parable, might be at least part of it, the things that jumped out to me in Zacchaeus' story is tax collector, rich man. He sought to see Jesus. He was unable to see Jesus because of height, crowd, and he then makes adjustments in his circumstance by running on ahead, climbing into a tree because he knew which direction and what streets he was going to go down, climbs into a tree. Now what's interesting, sort of the unmiraculous, miraculous element, is that Jesus knows who this, this guy is. Zacchaeus doesn't know Christ. He sought to who, see who Jesus was. They haven't met. When Christ looks at him in the tree, he addresses him by name. And then Jesus makes adjustments to the situation. He says, make haste and come down, for I must stay at your house today. He had made haste and climbed up, and then Jesus said, make haste and come down. And so Zacchaeus, verse 6, so he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. There is a meeting between a tax collector and the Messiah that is seems to be a dance of pursuit, mutual pursuit, mutual knowledge and pursuit, growing knowledge, where joy builds in Zacchaeus' life. He does this joyfully. And this man, it defines, I mean, everybody knew this guy's reputation, and when they saw it, they being them, you know, they all murmured, he has gone in to be a guest of a man who was a sinner. 
So I can inform myself, he is a tax collector, he's rich, he's short, he, he's rapid, he's quick, and he's known as a sinner. And we don't know what the conversation between Jesus and Zacchaeus was like at dinner. But Zacchaeus says in verse 8, stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now that's sort of what triggered an element in my thinking. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Because what you see is Zacchaeus jumping through all the hoops that he needed to jump through to get at Jesus Christ. He wants to see who he is. He wants badly enough. Then he's scurrying on, and you say scurrying because he's, you know, a midget. Scurrying down the streets of Jericho. Probably pretty nice clothes. He's a rich guy. To get ahead of the crowd so he can get up in a tree so he can see who this guy is. Because this guy is notable. This is the end of his ministry. And this guy who he wants to see recognizes him and asks to have hospitality from him. And that brings Zacchaeus great joy. Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But what's happening here is there's a lot of lost people in Jericho. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Why not everybody, why not stay with everybody? Just a few minutes each, move from house to house. The difference about Zacchaeus is he knows he's lost. It's like, like you say, I want to know who this is. It's a very... It's not like, I want to know the meaning of the universe. Zacchaeus doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I want to know the path to salvation. He doesn't say that. He says, I want to know who this guy is. He has sought Christ, and in that, qualifies himself to being sought by Christ. Now, As they heard these things, verse 11. And this is the passage I was thinking about primarily. I just wanted to put that Zacchaeus seeking Christ. That what you have learned of him, what he had learned of Christ. We don't know what that is. And we don't know content-wise what he learned afterwards. Nothing of the conversation is recorded. Other than I want to stay at your house. And you're saved. So... We're just told that he's eager and joyful about his encounter with Christ. And Christ clarifies that he came to seek. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Because he is coming down from the east-northeast out of Jericho to Jerusalem... It's a short hike, reasonably short hike. End of his ministry. Things are pretty, and I'll, I'll cut to the chase, and I, I haven't 
put this portion in the text. I trimmed it out for the sake of fitting it on the page. But the triumphal entry happens in this chapter. Things are worked up. During this journey, he has also raised Lazarus from the dead. Big, big, big couple of days for Jesus. And he knows because he's approaching the city, he was near to Jerusalem. And since they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately, and you can see the triumphal entry, all, you know, all the praise, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, etc., etc. He has to put a damper on it. And the damper is something, he tells this parable, because of this expectation, but the parable is not just, hey, lighten up, not going to happen yet. It doesn't just say that. He says, A nobleman, verse 12, went into a far country to receive a kingdom, and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten pounds and said to them, Trade with these until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent an embassy after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded these servants, to whom he had given the money, to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by trading. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your pound has made ten pounds more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your pound has made five pounds. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your portion, here is your pound, which I kept laid away in a napkin. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take up what you did not lay down, and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you out of your own mouth, you wicked servant. You knew I was a severe man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money into the bank, and at my coming I should have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the pound from him, and give it to him who has the ten pounds. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten pounds which I always one of my favorite verses. Because that's, Dad, that's not fair. Okay, what's going on in this story? It's not the same one you're familiar with, where it's the parable of the talents, and there's three servants, and they get different amounts, and then they, they parlay those different amounts into different things, and the one guy goes out there and he buries it, doesn't put it away in a napkin. This is ten people, one same amount each, in a circumstance where the master is going off to receive a kingdom, he comes back having received the kingdom. Now, <clears throat> he told this parable because you're not to expect, or they were not to expect the kingdom of God immediately. Now, I don't know what your eschatological views are. 
I don't care. But at least they were being told, and you may be told, that given that your king has departed, and he might not be back yet, given that you, even if he did come back, he might have left again, and you are still in the same circumstance, you're left with this talent, this pound of money, this mina, whatever it is the, uh, uh, it was about $20 worth back when my Bible was printed, that's what the footnote says, 20 bucks. I can remember that, uh, not because my brother and I were gifted, we're not, we're pretty bad with money. We went on a spring break trip many, many years ago, 1971, I think, Doug and I drove from Ann Arbor to Annapolis in, an, in the family station wagon, my dad gave us 10 bucks each for a week. We came back with 20 bucks each. Not because we were brilliant, but because Jim Wilson fans were slipping us money all the way during the week. You know, you need this, here you take this. And we brought gifts and we had money to spare. We were not good servants though. Not, not, not much money, 20 bucks, whatever it might be, 20 bucks from the 1960s would be what now? 100 bucks? Maybe it was 100. 20 bucks was a lot of money back then. You have a circumstance where you have a nobleman going to receive a kingdom, he's going to go away. What you gain, there are two, two categories of people. There's the citizens and there are the servants. The servants get the, given the pound each, and the citizens just have the anticipation this guy is going to rule. And they don't like it. They hate him. In case you haven't figured out the parable, Christ is the nobleman. Okay? You work with me there? Well, it doesn't actually say that, Evan. Yeah, don't be dumb. You've got some decisions to make. What are you going to be? Are you going to be the servant who has the obligation of investing? Are you the citizen who's making the choice about rule? We don't want this man to reign over us. I mean, they're going, you might say, with as much alacrity and haste as Zacchaeus did for the sycamore trees. These citizens sent an embassy after this nobleman to say, we don't want him in charge of us. We don't like him. That doesn't seem to have had any effect. He comes back having the kingdom. So you have investment on the servant's part, you have insubordination on the citizen's part. The nobleman, the king now, checks out the investment strategies of at least three of his ten servants. It doesn't tell you what all they all did. But one did 10 pounds, one did 5 pounds. Pretty good return, pretty good gain. And he says, that's going to parlay into actual power in my kingdom. You're going to get 10 cities, you're going to get 5 cities. It's the last guy who his view of the master is borderline. He's a servant of the king. He got a pound. He got a dollar, he got the hundred bucks, whatever it is. 
but his opinion of the master was his reason for wrapping it up in a napkin, not doing anything about it. What I want to get across to you is when you see Zacchaeus reacting, he doesn't know much, but he wants to know more, and what he knows more, that growing relationship of Christ seeking him and him seeking Christ, he responds joyfully and then wonderfully straightens everything out about his dishonest behavior financially. And salvation comes to his house. What you think of the king is going to move what you do with your reactions in your investing, in your insubordination. Because this is kind of like the insubordination, right? I knew you were a master who was what? Severe, collecting money where I didn't earn it, making profit. He says, if you thought that, couldn't you have at least gotten me some interest on this money? Does our own, do, do our own beliefs about God betray us any number of ways? He actually states what he thinks of his master and he didn't even act adequately to that. If you thought I was really severe, if you think you would have taken some pains to protect my money, get me my 20% from the bank, He says, by your own words, I've condemned you, you wicked servant. We really are, you know, when Christ walks up to the sycamore tree and looks at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, get down here, I want to go to your house. There is a, there is a meeting that is a reaction of the seeking Christ to the person who is seeking Christ that's so positive and such a gain, that steps so much into gaining something on what God has given you. And it's uh, good for the guy who made the 10 pounds. He gets an extra, he gets 11. I don't know if he gets 11 cities, but he gets 11. And everybody's complaining because that's just not right. Well, you're not seeming to measure the passage that Paul read this morning. Ever look at that passage and go, I don't like Jesus. Ever, ever read the parables and go, this is not the Jesus that I'm signed up for. Because he does owe those guys who worked all day more. Because he says, no, I, you seem to measure as if I was giving a denarius at the end of the day, like that's what one hour's work was worth. And you worked for me eight hours. No, we agreed contractually that you thought that eight hours was worth one denarius. You just don't like generosity. You just don't like kindness. How we view our Christ, do we seek him aggressively to get the gain on the talent he gave you? Now, you know very well that a talent is, a, is, a, is like a, a dollar or 20 bucks. It's not your talents. 
Don't think of coming to church saying, well, have you figured out what your talent is or your gift? You have the gift of administration. I have the gift of whatever you have the gift of. Being very sociable. No, we're talking about something else. Now, why do I think we're talking about something else? Verse 26, after the Lord, he has 10 pounds. I tell you that everyone who has will more be given, and from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That's his policy. Oddly enough, you've heard that passage before. Let me look at it in Matthew 13. Then the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to him who has will more be given, and he will have abundance, but from him who has not even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Your talent is the parable sitting in front of you. Your talent is the parable of the, uh, the workers in the vineyard. Your talent is the parable of the sower. You've got this sitting in front of you. All of it. The teaching is of your Christ, the teaching of your, his apostles. Laid in front of you, and your opinion of your God is going to drive what happens to you, what you do, and then what happens to you. Because there are two parts. Zacchaeus ran ahead, climbed a tree. That's what you're going to do. You're either going to run ahead and climb a tree to get a good look at this parable. And then Christ is going to walk up and says, I recognize you. I've been looking for someone like you. Looking like someone who what? Well, looking like someone who looks for me. Jesus Christ looks for those who look for him. He quotes that in, at the end of this parable, to him who has will more be given. The talents, the parable of the talents is about, the, you might say, the hints. He said, I spoke to them in parables so they wouldn't understand. But to you it has been given. Has it been given to you? Do you look at a parable or a difficult passage of scripture and go, I just don't understand. I don't want to get into trouble with God. I'm going to wrap this puppy in a napkin. Show up later at the judgment. Here's your stuff. I kept my Bible. I didn't write in the margins. Now, I don't write in my margins, and I don't mind if you do. But you know, the image is, do you have... I remember getting my dad's Bible. I was hoping I'd get passed on to me. And it was, no thanks to him, but uh, it, was, it was a train wreck. And I don't know how many decades it took him, but all the pages were so grimy. And there was nothing you could do to clean them. Every, the edge is just greasy with thumb, Jim Wilson thumb marks. Kind of the guy that would write the books on the edge of the pages, so you could thumb it out and like, oh, Habakkuk, right there. We couldn't see that anymore because it's just the dirt on the edge of the pages. Versus your Bible, when Jesus comes back, just let me get it out of the box, Jesus. 
because some of you still carry your Bibles around in the box. We've got to make sure that we don't use it. Don't think about it. And I was telling uh, Dane and Libby, I said, that what you're doing is what this is about. You're asking someone. You're finding some other conversation to be in, looking at other passages to know what's in this parable. That is you investing it to bring back gain. The gain is your knowledge of God. The gain is how much you sought him. And that's going to be resting on what you think of the king. Do you think he's a severe man? That you're really not supposed to understand this? It's only the pros, the people up front, the people who go to seminary, who get the straight skinny on this. It is a certain group. It's not everybody. But it's everybody who has sought him. Now you might... No, frankly, let's just say everyone isn't pretty. I'm not pretty. Some of you are pretty. Some of you are smart. Some of you are average. Okay? And there's a difference between the person who made 10 pounds and the person who made 5. But they pleased their master in both of these parables equally. This was great. I'll make you a ruler of 10 cities, 5 cities. Welcome to the joy of your master, it says in Matthew. The joy of their master. He's met someone who's invested the hint. Here is God came down from heaven and is talking in strange stories. And do you think, hold it, God came down from heaven? This is, this, this is the Son of God? Are you, are, you, are you serious? Or he's going, yeah, I really never really, you know, I know Christianity is true, but I really never really never felt that it was my business to deal with this. I don't really think of this as a task of me pursuing that. Well, the, the king, the nobleman who went off to get his kingdom, he was kind of expecting, because he knew he wasn't going to be here for a time, that there was a time for you to be taking all these hinting passages and profiting. That you started to think about what your Christianity was based on who you thought your Savior was. Because what you, what you get, you get to keep. What you get, you get to keep. And if you get a lot, he's going to go around collecting for all those people with the untouched Bible. The person who doesn't think about what they're learning and pursuing it and finding more and more who their God is. You can take their stuff. I don't know what their salvation state is. It says they're servants of God. I'm going to take theirs and give it to the person who did the most. But Lord, he has ten pounds. Oh, quit your whining. It's those people that have run the fastest, climbed the tallest tree, that Jesus Christ wants to look at and go, yeah, I know that guy. I was looking for that guy. Now, I want to stress to you about the, I mean, this, the, the, the worst servant. I knew you were a severe man. You might want to take a look at your view of God, your view of Christ. It matters. It, it, it'll motivate you or it won't motivate you. You either say he is a God that I must adore a God I must worship, a God I must serve, a God I must learn more and more about, because as Zacchaeus saying, received him joyfully. You received him joyfully. Or do you have other views of God? Well, he's kind of the hairy thunderer, 
And uh, I can't see how God can let this happen. You ever make your, you know, clasp your little fat fingers into a little pudgy fist and shake it at heaven? I don't see how he can allow, you know, this to happen. Eh, shut up. You don't want Jesus Christ to rule over you. Fine, fine. I would, I'm saying this now because I haven't read the next verse. Fine. Send the embassy after him and say, I don't want him in charge of me. Verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them before me. Ow. Don't just not let them in the club. Okay? This is, this is not, this is a serious business. This is a matter of the insubordinate. There was, you had a chance to be investing in your God, recognizing things about believing. If you looked at God and said, I don't want this to reign over me, because Lord knows you were in charge, <laughs> to the point where you pose a problem, you, you send a delegation and say, I'm not having any of this. I don't think this nobleman should be in charge of my life. Because somebody else already is. Probably me. There's no, let's talk about this. Let's work this out. Really, if I offer you something, a little bit more, better deal. No. You're my enemy. You did not even have enough of a view of me. I mean, you complained about me. I would not want to be an atheist. Not because, oh, icky, atheist, God doesn't like atheists. No, because they, they look at the king of kings and they go, I have nothing. I don't want him to be in charge of me. I don't want him. I mean, you deny he's there. I'm going to go around pretending he's not there. Well, someday, he wants them. He doesn't just want to reward you for seeking him out. He wants to have you killed in front of him. That's killed in front of him. Bring them here and slay them before me. You know, you're just going, that is more like ISIS than it is like the Christianity I know. Well, it's a parable. I'm not saying that in real life, other than eternally, only in terms of your eternal soul, will God pull you before him and you will stand before him and you'll be judged for that which you have done, whether it be good or evil. It'll be worse than ISIS. Worse. This is a matter of you meeting the divine. In meeting the divine, what impression did you get? Did you get the impression that, oh my gosh, I got to see this guy. I'll do anything with as much haste as I can to see this guy. And hold it, he knows me. What an honor, what a responding to grace, responding to his mercy. Regardless of your sins. Or thinking him a severe man and not even bothering with what he has left with you. Because you don't even want to deal with the gods because they're always so, you know, godlike. And someone who's anti- the God. The phrase, kill them in front of me. It 
in some ways, a lot of people in a feminized culture want to see more masculine things. And I, that's maybe true. I don't think that verse is there to give you a sense of masculine things. It may tr touch us that way, and we might benefit from that, but the real the benefit is, what do you think you're dealing with? He's going to judge the world in righteousness, and your opinion of him, you're either looking at him with a dollar laid in front of you, 20 bucks laid in front of you, 100 bucks laid in front of you, and saying, invest that until I come back. Hey, I got this Bible when I got saved. Now the triumphal entry happens right there. I cut it out again just for space. Feel free to go back and read it. It's got some good stuff in it. Um, verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that even today you knew the things that make for peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. Because it's not merely that when you run ahead and climb a tree to get a look at Jesus Christ, not only does he recognize you and ask to stay in your house, but if you don't run ahead and climb no trees, he stops looking for you. Now they're hid from your eyes. For the day shall come upon you when your enemies will cast up a bank about you and surround you and hem you in on every side and dash you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now they're hid from your eyes. Don't think you just get to go, oh, okay, preach winsomely enough to me, tell me enough funny things from the pulpit, give enough gripping stories, um, of what, uh, or, or publish enough books with one another argument for the, uh, the apology for our God. Do you realize Christian philosophy has dominated philosophical history with far more work and effort and success than any other philosophy on the planet? It's, with the, the Christian philosophers are the big boys, they're the pros, have been for centuries. Everybody else is just running around banging on little toy drums like uh, Richard Dawkins. You know, it's, it, you just want to say, I could, I could set a high school kid against Richard Dawkins and beat him. He's not thinking big thoughts. We, we, are, we have got, I keep telling you this, this book. Now, I don't think the Bible ever tells us to make a Bible. Christianity, the Bible is not part of Christianity in the sense that this whole thing is gathered together. This is the Word of God. It is in there and everything that it affirms in original autographs. And it is the most amazing thing ever written. Ever. Not just because we're Christians, but because if you've read anything, read the most amazing thing. Read War and Peace. Read... Chaucer, read whoever you want to read. They're great. They're this great. 
This is millennia of a mind relating a particular frame of philosophic and theological things in front of you that are just amazing. Far more. You read other ancient religions, they say some nice things, but they're just cheesy. Even the fake Bible stuff, the Apocrypha, it's cheesy. This is amazing stuff. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because just because it's there doesn't mean you always get to look at it. Now it can be hidden from your eyes. Now the actual parable will land on you like, I don't want to, this is too complicated. I don't want to deal with this. How much do you have to think about that parable this morning, Evan? How many Pop-Tarts did it take? Oh, but you, they could mock you. You could say, I want to, do I want to be in conversations with my friends about the living God? Or are you just clueless as to the time of your visitation? Whatever your view of the end times, you could be preterist, dispensational, whatever you think it's going to happen. The Lord has visited you. In your salvation, the preaching of the gospel, the presence of the word of God, the availability of the saints and the gathered together, published works of centuries, men of God that you can listen to on the uh, interwebs. There's not one stone going to be left upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. I like that little comment back with Zacchaeus. He ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. It's a little parts of what Zacchaeus is aware of. How much alacrity are you putting into pursuit of God? How aimlessly do you wander? I don't know, he might be I'll just stand down here and be on the wrong street entirely. Zacchaeus knew what street he was going to be in. He knew what tree would give him a good vantage point. And he knew so little about Christ already. He just wanted to know. You want to be discovered by your God looking for him. You want to be discovered by your God coming back and finding that you're looking for him. Which is the investment of the pounds? Seeking God is the investment of the pounds. How much do you stand there with? How much do you know of him? And if you say, I, I, I really don't know much, check first. Don't go, oh, what kind of regimen do I need to go through to uh, pretend to be interested? You know, pretending to be interested, it works for a lot of, well, it doesn't actually work for anybody. Pretending to be interested. Check your view of him. What do you think the king is coming back to do? What do you think the kingdom is of? Pictures seeking to serve. What's your opinion? Do you not want him to rule over you? Let's go, I mean, honestly, I have some urges. Onion rings among them. Now, what do when the Lord has expectations of me, and I have a choice between Evan's urges for onion rings and obedience, 
What do I do? Do I not want him to reign over me? We do not want this man to reign over us, they said. Don't expect him to go, oh, you probably didn't get the point or the, the memo where I said I was sorry for being so strict. He just has you killed. I don't make the rules. I just apply them. Know the time of your visitation. Know your king has left you with something. However long you think that may be, differ amongst yourselves. But he's left you with the thing he wants you to think about. And he wants to see what you earn on it by the time the end comes. That's pretty simple. And he's looking for those people. He seeks those who have sought him. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we're grateful. Keep us eager to know more about your word, eager to know more about what you are doing in each other's lives, eager to find our view of your son growing in greatness so that we'd be driven on to do more to know him. Lord, help us as believers be ready to serve in his kingdom. That we would not be cut off. That we would not find that you have hid yourself from us because we didn't know the visitation. Thank you. In your son's name, amen.